This interview of the Dawson D Show is brought to you by Ned's Peninsula Cup Day at the fabulous Mornington Racecourse, Sunday 30th of October. Well, spring racing is well and truly here, D, and it's the Peninsula's time to shine. That's right, Dawson. Ned's Peninsula Cup returns to the vibrant and picturesque grounds of the Mornington Racecourse on Sunday, October 30th, promising an electric atmosphere with plenty of activity on and off the track. Back on course in high demand, the Highview Marquee offers the day's top spot to play, available to members and the public. Boasting live music from Baker Boy. Yes, please. All-inclusive food and beverage package provided by a selection of the Peninsula's best food trucks and central bar, plus a prime trackside location. The Highview Marquee is the ideal place to immerse yourself in every memorable moment. Lock in your spot now at mrc.racing.com and use the promo code DOSSND for a nice little discount. For those on the front lawn, expect garden party vibes highlighted by even more of the finest local food trucks, pop-up bars, and a DJ to deliver an elevated experience. Oh, yes, please. Tots and teens alike can revel in the day's activity with a run of unlimited rides, lawn games, and even face painting to ensure fun for all. I'll see you on the Ferris wheel, mate. Absolutely, Doss. So join us at the Nets Peninsula Cup there on Sunday, October 30th at the wonderful Mornington Racecourse. And how do we get those tickets again, Doss? Go straight to mrc.racing.com and don't forget to use that promo code DOSSND on checkout. We'll see you there, guys. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Smashing societal pressure and unlocking your secret ambition. Now, Doss, are you ready for our next interview? Deep. I'm ready. Now, let's go balls deep. Our guest today is one of the most well-known and loved jockeys. He rode Maccabi Diva to three straight Melbourne Cup victories, is a four-time Cox Plate winner, and most recently in 2020. He's won the Sydney Cup, Brisbane Cup, Australian Cup, Golden Slipper, and just about every other race in the country. He's a legend of the sport and an icon of this country. Glenn Boss, welcome to the Dawson D Show. Yeah, this is good to be here, lads. Mate, we are wrapped to have you. How does that feel when somebody rattles off those uh, statistics to you? Oh, now I've retired, you know, I'm kind of... Out on the speaking circuit and whatnot, yeah. and people, so these things stats get brought up, and sometimes it blows my mind away because you, when you're in it, you're just doing it right, sure. and, and you don't sort of tend to look backwards. You're yeah. always striving for that next thing, and and sometimes things just get lost, mm. you know, in 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 the moment of your sport and the moment of what you're doing, and then all of a sudden you you stop and you pause and you're looking backwards because people want to talk about that stuff and mm. you go, oh yeah, that, I did some pretty cool things. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm being blessed. How, how has retirement been? I know we briefly touched on it, but how have you enjoyed it so far? bit different. No, 3.30 starts in the morning, lads. Um, <laughs> and I tell you, they shitted me every day I had to do them. Like wow. I, I had to get the, I had to use the alarm. Once I was up, I was up, but I hated the alarm every day. So mm. now Besides getting up for an early game of golf, I get up at seven o'clock in the morning and have a stretch. And, uh, <laughs> that's probably earlier than most people, anyway. Yeah, yeah. no, but, but that's so late. Like I would have done half a day's work by then. You yeah, know? But, um, but I'm really enjoying that part of it. Like you're just being like going to a pub on a Saturday, watching the races with my mates, having a few pots, and you know, just living sort of like a normal. I mean, what do I say, normal person? But just living a normal kind of life. Yeah. So at your peak, when how much time would you have off a year? Yeah, not much, yeah. not much. Um, our time off was generally injured mm-hmm. and we had a break after sort of each carnival. It would only be a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, our, our job is 24-7, 360 days a week besides Christmas wow. Day. It, it, you race every, you can race every day. I chose not to. Mm. It's a very it's a very consuming industry. Mm. We jumped already. You're up at three. Let's just jump straight into that. Like what, yeah. what's the routine? Because that just is absurd. Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? You know, you're up at 3.30 because you have to obviously drive to a, a racetrack to do track work in the morning because um, track work started, you know, generally about 4, 4.30. And, uh, and that was your routine. You finished at the track sometimes 
you know, 6.30, sometimes 9.30, sometimes 10.30 because there was trials or something on that morning. Right. And then um, you come home and basically you – sometimes you lose losing weight, go for a run, go to the gym, whatever you do, and then you go to the races. That's not every day but that was a big part of my routine. Mm. So for those who don't know, we're a little bit naive as well. So – the purpose of except, except on the punt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's put that right. So, yeah. you're, so you're not amateurs that <laughs> Well, I haven't had much success. I, actually, you you are always my favorite. You possibly got me home a few times. But talk us through so you know, when you're doing track work in the morning, so this might be a dumb question to some, but the purpose of that is to what are you are you riding the horses that you're gonna race later in the day or are you getting your feel? What 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 is the purpose of that? Oh, there's so many purposes. Number okay. one, you have relationships with certain trainers. Okay. Um, you're moulding horses from a young age. You're working them through their you know their genre to get yep. them to certain points. Your fitness, uh, mm-hmm. your timing. You okay. got to keep that all that kind of thing um, happening. And yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just part of what you do. It's sure. not you know if you you, you got to be if you don't do the process, it's just like being a footballer or a cricketer, mm. right? You, you got to go there and, and yeah. put in the yards and practice. And for us, it's, that's what it is. Yeah. It's really, really interesting because I think about us in our routine. You are in your routine. Like you, you just become yeah. accustomed to it, don't you? Was there a yeah. certain age where you knew, I can't get out of this now? Because you said you don't like the early starts. Like, did you come to a point where you went, well, shit, I'm not getting out of it now. This is, this is my career. Well, when I first started, as a, <laughs> as a, as a 15-year-old kid, I realized, well, this is it. But I'd, I'd been getting up most mornings of my life as big wool farmers as kids anyway. So mm. it was that was kind of normal for me. But... When I got older, I found it. Not I'm talking about just recently. I thought that's when it really felt hard to me. Um, sure. Most of my life, I was always addicted to the process. I loved it. Um, like I said, I didn't like the alarm, but once I was up, I was into it. I was addicted to that process yeah. of trying to find another good horse, working on my on my craft all the time. Uh, that was a big part of why I kept going for as long as I did. Yeah. So you said you started at 15. Talk us through those early years. How did it all start? Your first race, your first win, all those those memories. Yeah, great memories. Um, punching around in North Queensland okay. uh, on, on ridiculously wild tracks, you know, um, as a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't – we were just farmers. I rode horses from a very, very early age. I think I was, I was actually four years old when I started riding – and, and then I didn't know what a jockey was. I mm. had no idea I was going to be a jockey. Actually, we were just talking about what you were talking about before. I was more into motocross. I, was, I could have been a crusty dean. Or something, <laughs> you know. But then I went to the races with my grandmother and um, I fell in love with the sport straight away. Okay. And, um, and that, was, that, was going to be, that it was going to be what I was going to do for the rest of my life. At, at, as a 15-year-old kid, that's what I said. This is what I'm doing. And, uh, and that's where it started, punching around Queensland and just going flat out. Yeah. Yeah, we're having a ball. I'd love to know about training. So uh, obviously you're on the track, but outside of the track work, what, what do you need to do to, to get to the elite which you got to? Yeah, um, as a kid I was just a really fit bugger anyway, so mm. I got away with it a lot. I was just very wiry. I had a very good engine. Like I, I just remember as a kid – I never trained a day, and I'd go out there and win the cross country. You yeah. know, I hated guys like you. Yeah, <laughs> I hated you. <laughs> I, was, I was just, um, but I was always very active, running yeah. around. The, I was always active on horses, running around, you know, the paddocks, and I never stopped kind of moving. Um, so as a younger kid going through, I was always very fit. And then when I got to into my thirties, I thought thirty fives. You know, I started in myself putting in the gym. Even the last decade of my life, from forty to fifty two. Um, I kept myself super fit, had personal trainers, you know, on a good diet, all that sort of stuff. And that, that kept me in the game a long time. 
Mm. So what was that routine then? So with the personal trainer, how many days a week and what were you doing specifically? Yeah, towards the end, it was five days a week with okay. him, Monday uh, to Friday, flat out. Um, wow. And like going, like we, uh, his name's Changa Langlands. He's um, one of the most renowned personal trainers in Sydney and like he gives you a touch up. Like, yeah. but, but it's all he specifically based to what you do and very much aerobic stuff. Obviously, we couldn't put muscle weight on. So it was all very aerobic, um, getting my heart rate to a very high level, as high as I could, and then ripping it down again, and then okay. do it, repeat, repeat. I loved it, to be honest. I got I got so addicted to it, that side of it. It's a shame. I, I mean, when I, I quit riding in November, and I haven't trained much since then, yep. <laughs> as you can probably see, but um, I'm about to get back into it again, because I just look at myself and think, oh, I, you know, you get a bit disappointed with yourself. When, you, when, when you've been a fit bugger all your life, yeah. You look back and you go, oh, geez, I'm a bit disappointed in myself at the minute. So I'm starting to get back into That's it. That's how I feel at the moment about yeah. myself. So, <laughs> yeah. well, so what's the the whole, for someone that doesn't know a lot about racing, the weight categories and how that all works mm-hmm. and then how do you get yourself at that weight to get on that horse for that day? Yeah, it changes through the year. Obviously, autumn and spring is our main time and you kind of get yourself – I'd get myself up. Like I'd – I'd train all year, but then I'd really start to, you know, the month or two before the autumn and the spring, I'd really amp it up mm. um, and go to another level, just get myself ready because my body was going to have to deal with something later on in the next two months that you don't really have to, most people don't have to go through, you know. Mm. So I'd, I'd get myself super fit because I knew that I'd have to, I'd cut, have to cut weight and get down to some dangerous levels, um, but you have to be really super fit. And then it what happens it's it becomes a more of a mind game sure if you knew that your body could cope with it then it become how do i get my mind through this because your mind will start playing tricks on you because you're getting you let your body's into into a place where it shouldn't go but then and then you just deal with it and you get on with it you know yeah um, yeah it's some of the guys do it wrong and some of them guys do it really well um i was a guy that really did it well because it's it's un, it's unhealthy to be very honest um you know you're asking you you've got nothing in you and you're asked to go out there and take control yeah. of this 500 kilo horse and make split-second decisions, many of them, and you're fatigued at the same time. Mm. It, it's pretty pretty hard what we have to deal with, but you, you just get on with it, you know? You said some people did it well and some didn't. So over your career, were you able to find a process that worked for you? And what does that actually look like? So when you're talking about cutting weight, because most people can't comprehend what what actually goes into that. So can you explain how you actually cut weight and how you get it down, like the science of getting it down for a specific moment and yeah. time? Yeah. Okay. So for instance, like I had to ride a, a filly in a Cox plate at 47 kilos. So I'd walk, I was walking around at 54, 53 at the wow. time. So that's a lot. So that was a, but that was a, like a, a month process and, yeah. and it got down to a point where I was actually starting to, my body was attacking itself. It was, a, I was muscle wasting. Um, okay. I went on this massive high protein diet boxing twice a day and walking when I wasn't I wasn't moving all the time but what I got then I was eating six times a day but they were like 100 gram meals of, right. just of pure protein meats okay. clean clean um vegetables no like, no sugars barely any glucose and calories no no no, and... no 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 calories whatsoever no breads no fruit no sugars clean water um, distilled water and basically that through that process it's amazing what it did to me. Like I, I honestly, by the end of the process, I wrote, I got, I jumped on the scales one afternoon. I was forty six and a half. I looked like I'd escaped from Guantanamo Bay, <laughs> <laughs> but my eyes were clear, my skin was clear. I felt mm. unbelievable. I was sleeping, really? Yeah, you wouldn't wow. believe it. I was sleeping well. 
but I, I got to a point where I had virtually no muscle, uh, I know fat, and it was even the doctor I was with. Uh, he, he said this is very dangerous because you got to have fat in your in your system, mm. and I was getting down. I had virtually less than one percent of fat. Wow! And this is a real dangerous place because you can get sick very quickly, you know, and you have, and you don't have that immune system. But it, you know, but I did it for a short period, like it was a month, right? And got myself really ready for it. And to be honest, boys, if you asked me to do it again, there's no way I would do it again. Mm-hmm. I was a bit naive to the whole situation, but I, once I was into it, I was locked in and I had to do it. And But that's an extreme – that's an extreme. Yeah. That's the extreme thing, you know, that one. How does your family, I guess, comprehend that too? Like I'm trying to imagine and picture being a professional athlete while your family is still living a normal life. Yeah. So how does that happen? How does that work? Yeah, well, my, my wife obviously was cooking – you know, she, we ate very well and she was always very aware that I, you know, so we were, I was, I'm a very big protein pers- person and um, uh, she would always cook a lot of fish and, you know, good meals like that. Like I'd have nothing on me, then I'd go and get the, I'd put the suit on, you know, like a, a, it's a it's a boxing suit, you know, it's plastic and then I'd yeah. go for a run, come back and I'd just, just you know, I'd lost a kilo and Dripping. a half. Dripping. Wow. Lost a kilo and a half when you didn't have a kilo and a half on you and then, she know that you get a bit moody, you know, you could be a bit – she kind of knew when she could be there and knew, knew when she couldn't or wouldn't be sure. in my space because I sometimes you just get a bit frazzled, you know, and you just yeah. you just need to be on your own um, and collect your thoughts for a while uh, because little certain things just tick you off. Um, yeah. And she learned that really quickly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when uh, when to be in my space and when not to be. But, yeah, and, and I, knew that, I knew that was happening to me. Like I, I knew this process was happening but you still get – a little bit edgy and ticked off because you, you know, it's a constant battle, mind and body. Well, in this time period, like the spring carnival, when you're when you going to these extreme levels, are you only riding on the weekends at the main, at like Caulfield and and Flemington and Mooney Valley, or are you doing midweek as well? No, you're doing more actually. Oh, you're doing uh, more. Yeah, okay. you're doing more because it's um, that's your time of the year. But like I said, boys, you you get yourself up for it. Um, you know that this is what's going to happen. It's not going to happen for long. Yeah. So you get yourself ready for it. And that's the part where you 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 play with your mind. You know, you tell your mind, okay, this is, you know, at the end of November, this is all going to – at the mid-November, this is all going to be over. The pain's sure. going to be over. But yep. let's just get ourselves – and it'd be, it'd be the same for guys that are getting themselves up through the finals. You know, their bodies definitely aren't what they were at the start of the yeah. – at the start of the finals, you know, at the start of the year. Midway, you know, they've got a lot of aches and pains mm. and, and then all of a sudden they're in the finals and they're in the top two. You know, they have to th- – their bodies are screaming for a break. But you know what, boys, they say, put your mouth goat in and fucking get on with yeah. it. Yeah. And then because the pain's going to finish soon, you know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Love it. What's it like in the, in the dressing room or the locker room? Like, Because yeah. c- you're all competing with one <clears throat> another but you're also – I'm sure <laughs> you're racing for so many different trainers. Mm. Mm. But you all are. So you're yeah. competing, but you're also teammates. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's a strange dynamic. It's a, you hit the nail on the head there. It's a strange dynamic. It's an individual sport, but collectively we're in the room. We're teammates. We're mates. It's amazing. Like, Sydney and Melbourne have a great room, and I was lucky enough to be in part of both rooms for long periods of times. A lot of love, a lot of lot of real love between the boys because we now understand that we are in such a dangerous sport at any one given moment, you know, something can go wrong and it happens. When it happens, it happens very quick. So we we understand that if we don't have the love for each other on the ground, like you don't have respect and really look after each other, you it won't happen out there. 
So you've got to really have that bond. Mm. And so when we get out on the track that you look after each other, you know, things happen that sometimes we can't control. But the stuff you can control, make sure that you do it and look after each other. So, yeah, like I say, we're very, very close. Yeah. So what happens then if somebody does the wrong thing mid-race and, and everybody's aware of it? When they walk into the back into the rooms, what's mm. it like and how do you guys as a collective deal with it? Well, sometimes if it's a stup- stupidity thing, like, yeah, we, we – but – you can sort of give each other a bit of a ribbon. If, if, if nothing happens out of it, um, you know, you can get in there and give each other a bit of a touch-up, yeah, yeah, yeah. give that person a touch-up, knowing that it's – but you don't go out – you never cross that line. Sure. You, never, you know, you, you never use profanities. You never use a, a word that you should never go back with and never use – get into a spot which you're going to have to go back and apologise for because you stepped over the line already. Gotcha. You know, generally you get around it. Get a, If there's something happening – if something does happen, you generally get around that person because it generally, it, 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 honestly, it was never meant, they never meant to do it. Mm. Things happen in, in our races. It's And like I said, it happens very quickly. You know, it's yes. just instantaneous. It's can, now all of a sudden there can be just bedlam, you know, a, a crazy moment. So what we do, if something happens and that person's in the wrong, we generally rally around them because they're hurting. Hopefully the person that's on the ground or whatever is, is okay, you know. Mm. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite trainers to work with i'm sure you worked with so many mm. and i'm sure you probably don't want to necessarily single one out but you know who were who the some of the people in the industry that you just love to to ride for there was one guy particularly and i'll just single him out because i always do he's uh, the late guy walter um unfortunately mm. he passed away early with a with a he had a heart attack but he was a product of bart cammings he grew, sort of went through that system one of the most unique individuals i've ever ever had the the pleasure to work with his calmness the way he did things the way he spoke the way he was very measured about what he did yeah i i kind of liken him to a an artist when they started painting or whatever you didn't quite get what they were doing but and sometimes you look back when they finish and 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 then they told you well this is what i was thinking and you go wow now i get it now i get it and that's what he was that's what he was like he didn't quite know the journey he was going on with horses and why he was doing things. But halfway through the journey, you kind of thought, oh, I kind of know where we're going, but I'm not sure. And then when you see what he did with his horses at a particular point, you go, man, I just got that. He was like that. He did it often. Mm. He was an incredible person. Prior to a race then, how much communication are with the trainers? Like, or is it mainly on race day itself where you'll – you know, you'll get the brief of what you need to do and what you're thinking. Because if you're riding 10 horses in a day, it must be difficult to try and stay on top and remember and prepare and work out everybody else who's in the race and who you're up against. I'm really interested for the day itself and what yeah. goes on. Yeah, most of the process was already done. You know, okay. like you know, the, the talking, track work, phone calls and what what like. Generally, race day, they understand that you've done the preparation okay you know and so that's the expectation mm, on you as a jockey absolutely they know they understand that especially when you get to a certain level Mm -hmm. you know what your job is you know i've done my track i've done my homework and i do that early all the preps all done so when i get to race day i'm completely clear i'm basically on autopilot i'm just running through the day i know who i have to speak to i know what my job is what role i know exactly when i get on the horse what my role is i know how to treat that animal i know have a pretty clear vision of what I want to do that day. Yeah. And then I completely ablib because whatever I thought about, however I thought about that day would go, it's going to go the opposite way. It, yeah. You know what I mean? There's 10 ways it's going to go, sure. or that thousand ways it's going to go. 
And then I just completely go into this space where I, I like I'm talking about major days, you know, where yeah. it's really yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to be on. I just go into this place where I just completely ablib because you can do all the homework you want and you can do all this thing and think it's all going to be that way. It never works out that way. So, but you have a structure at sure. the start, you have a plan. Yeah. Uh, and then you just go with it. Did you ever sit in the barrier and is there a process that you would go through? Like, would you, yeah. would you visualize winning? Would you visualize, you know, exactly how the race is going to go? I'm sure on a, you know, you know, you know, there's obviously yeah. a plan pre-race, but yeah. it doesn't always go to plan. Do you visualize that yourself? Yeah, great question. That's a really good question because I used to visualize a lot. You know, I'd have even at, at the, when I was doing my form, I would visualize many outcomes of. So when I got to that point when I stood in the barriers, I wasn't at a point where I was going to be shocked by anything. Mm. You know, and like I said, boys, I had visualized and I had a lot of scenarios of what might happen. I had a very clear picture in my head what I wanted to do, how I wanted to execute. And I did my best to execute to that plan. But I, my last thing, I would, I would always get in the barriers and I'd kind of, you know, just I would always be trying to be as calm as possible, my heart rate as low as possible so that the horse would feel that. And the last, before, the last couple of horses would come in the barriers and I'd, the last couple, that would, I'd say with well, myself, relax, 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 relax. And that was... Mm my process yeah and then when the when the barriers opened oh, that was it i was just in this zone i was completely well i'd say it to myself five six times whatever it was how much time i had and every time i said it it was calmer and calmer and calmer and slower i'm feeling and relaxed like, yeah. well <laughs> and that was just me when yeah. the barriers opened and that's it i was just in this yeah. i was just in this kind of zoned out space yeah. and i knew how how i'd execute and if it didn't i didn't execute to get that spot because it you know everyone's trying to get that perfect spot it didn't bother me because I knew I could find another spot. Yeah, you know, I was so clear on what my process was to to how I wanted to ride a race. Yeah. yeah. So, what's the difference then when you're in a good headspace versus bad? And what I mean yeah. by that is walking into a race day where you're feeling on top of the world, you're yeah. in form, versus when you're not in form. Because it seems to be on race meetings, there's, there's some days where there's a jockey that's just on fire and yeah. they're winning everything. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm just interested when you know when you're in form versus out of form, what what the difference is for you. That's sport. And life, mm-hmm. and I realised a long time ago that it's never ever, it's never perfect. I'm, you're going there's going to be ebbs and flows in everything you do in sport and life, and you just go with those ebbs and flows. You know, oh, honestly, I've got there some days and I'm just I've got no rhythm, you know. And I, I think your biorhythms, everything's I'm kind of out, you know. I'm, and and you're struggling to find that that little bit of magic, yeah. you know. I used to do I used to do this really crazy thing and. Um, if I was ever struggling on a day, and if it was a good a day, I used to walk. My, I used to go into, and I used to do it before a major race, anyway, regardless. But some days, if I was struggling to find rhythm, I was struggling. T- timing was not right, or something, you know. I'd walk into the bathrooms and I'd look myself straight down the barrel, because you can't lie to yourself. Mm. If you ever, ever, ever tried it, guys, and if you look yourself straight down the mirror, in the mirror, in the eyeball, you can't lie to yourself. Yeah. You, you can't, it, but if you so, if you look away. And you're trying to give yourself a bit of a pep talk. If you look away, you, you, you're not on. So I'd always tell myself, okay, boss, you know, you can trust yourself. You know, you, you're the best. In, you are the best in this room. You know, mm-hmm. you know that. Uh, you're riding the best horses. Pull yourself together and go out there and, and completely execute. execute. And then and always my last thing I told myself was to relax. And that was my trigger. Yeah. As soon as I told myself to relax, that was my trigger. That's a, that, that worked for me, right? 
And that would be that would make me that would bring me back. Mm. You know what I mean? It just bring me back. I'd walk out after that little pep talk to myself, and I'd feel wow. I kind of worked out very early. I used to love studying great sportsmen. Didn't matter what genre they were in. I used to just love studying the best of the best. Mm. And what I did realize in my studies, and this is self-taught, that most of the guys, guys and girls, looked like they had more time than everyone else. Yeah. They look like they're going slower. And then, then you start to dig into their why they look like that or how they get to this point. So you start digging and you start learning about that person. And the common scenario is, well, that bloke worked harder than everyone else or that girl worked harder. That, they were the ones that when training finished, they were there for kicking a ball for another hour. Jack, you know what I mean? They, mm. they, they were addicted to the process. They were addicted to getting better. So when it come to these moments when we're on the, the paddock, that, that, that was so good. That, that, that they were in autopilot. They were so good. So they just kind of looked like they're floating around. But yeah. they're actually going so much quicker than anywhere else because they see it quicker. They see it better. Just through the process that they mm. went through, they got so good. So that's what I, I kind of kind of tried to do myself. Yeah. You know, I tried to get real good in the process. You know, the tr- early track works, I never stopped learning. I, I was always trying to learn something that day, that morning. So when it come game time... It was almost like it was just that was easy for me. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I had That's days. I had insight. days like like Melbourne Cup days when I won, or Cox Plate days, and I'd get back in the room and go. People would ask me, hey, what, how? I'd go, "Geez, that was that was too easy." Really? That was <laughs> yeah. honestly too easy. Wow! Because you got yourself in this state where you were in, you were completely abliving. You, you all you did was react. You weren't thinking. You never thought. You never stopped. You never thought. Well, you unconsciously you were thinking, but you weren't thinking. All you did, all you do, was react, and it, it, and you say it's become too easy. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I'm thinking back to us even the last few weeks, been doing a couple of little projects and everything. You know, you know when everything's just going wrong. Yeah, like, every, yeah. Like you're thinking. Everything, you're thinking. Every, yeah. yeah, everything that you know. In terms of for us, we're out. We're trying to do our our project, and the equipment's not working, and this isn't yeah. working, and this is broken, and that. And you almost want to go. We're not supposed to do this, but. D said to me, he goes, no, like this is exactly what the universe is telling us. Is yeah. it, it's throwing it at us yeah. to tell us how much do we want it. Yeah, accept it. Yeah. And, and these are the moments, boys, where you really find out about yourself. These are the moments where I, I used to welcome those moments. Like yeah. honestly, I used to welcome. I used to welcome the nerves. I used to welcome the shitty times because I clearly learnt more out of those moments than – the moments when it all just was clicking because, like I said, I sit there half. that was way too easy. Yeah. And, I, and it felt like I never learned anything. But Is it like a flow state? The, it's a flow state. Yeah. It's a complete flow state. So, But I never got into those states without having the shitty days. Sure. You know what I mean? I, I never learned. I had to learn from the bad days. What, what was my trigger? What was the process? Why didn't I do – you know, why didn't it work that day? So you sit down and you think, analyse that day or that moment. And then you go, okay, I was just thinking too much. I was overthinking it. I was overanalyzing it. I was rushing. Yeah. Why was I rushing? Fuck, I didn't need to rush. You know what I mean? So then yeah, you yeah, learn. Yeah. And then when the flip side of it is I wasn't rushing. I never thought, you know, things were just like that. You know, the flow state. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. You've got to have those crappy days sometimes to yeah. teach, to, to learn from. So in terms of crappy days then, what's the worst injury you've, you've had? What's that recovery like? The, the the one that nearly killed me was I broke my C2 in three places, um, which is the hangman's um, break, which is just the, just below your, your base of your skull. 
that was a pretty nasty fall. I was very fortunate I was conscious when I fell and I was conscious when I, after I fell. Um, and I knew I realised I broke my neck and uh, I didn't move from that moment on. So because I was, I was later to learn that through the process of getting better and with neurosurgeons that it's a very complicated bone. It's a very complicated area. Of your, if I was to move my head 10 degrees up, down, left or right, I would have turned what was a stable fracture into an unstable fracture and I would have um, severed my spinal cord. And you don't last long because it's controls your breathing everything you know that that's it's well people when they hang that, that that's a bone they break and it, you, you don't like you don't last long yeah that's brutal yeah it's brutal but it's just like boys it's just like for me it was like okay that's a bone i've broken i've in the right hands it, i didn't die fortunate enough that i wasn't a quadriplegic or anything like that and so my process was like okay it's <laughs> We, how do we fix this and how quickly can I get back on the paddock? That was, you know, that was my process after I realised that I was okay with it, you know. And so how old were you when this happened? That was in 02. That was the year before I won my first cup. Got kids at this uh, stage. Yeah, I'm in my mid-30s, yeah. So I understand where you're coming from, from the athlete side of you saying, okay, how quickly can I get back to mm. riding and back to my best and all this sort of stuff. But then there's the flip side, which is your loved ones. Yeah. What are they saying? Oh, it changed my life. Yeah, it changed my life in a very positive outcome. I mean, I was probably that stupid bloke that needed the biggest kick in the ass. <laughs> because, like, honestly, at the time I was 35 and I was flying, right? I was yeah. riding derby winners, you know, I'd ridden you know, slipper winners. I'd ridden everything. Yeah. I hadn't won the cups at all at that point, but I'd ridden everything that you could, Doncasters. And so I was going through this, I was, you know, I was flying at the time and kind of one of them guys that probably didn't, look at what I was doing on the way. I was just too, so focused yeah. on what I was doing next and the family was probably just getting towed along, you know what I mean? Sure. Lived in other, lived in other countries and whatnot and, yeah, so I was probably just addicted to myself at the time, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm. I really, and what I was doing um, without really thinking about what was actually really going on around me, you know, the, mm. the family and friends. And so once I once I come – and that changed my whole mindset once I was realised that, I, you know, this – at one point – I mightn't have even been here to witness it the rest of my life and what with the family was going to go on and sure. and I would, could have been in a wheelchair. So it changed my whole mindset of yeah. how I approached my my family, my my friends and my actual professional life. It, it changed the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Did your kids ever want to get on the horse? Like did, did, did they learn to ride? Um, no, my, my son Tate has n- never really sat on a horse and my daughter Carter has – they have never been there on a horse. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean – I was a country kid who brought up around horses, so that I kind of got it chose me, and I was thrown into it. Was it. Part of your daily it life. It was part of my life. Yeah, with them it wasn't, and I kind of oh well, I did. I I wanted my son to choose his own path, not to follow my path. Like because, and I, I I sort of spoke to him as a young boy, and growing up, I said, you know, you choose. You don't have to follow what I'm doing. Um, you choose your own path, and yeah. I want you to make sure you choose your own path and. Uh, to be honest, lads, he's he's a, just a bigger. He's the same build as me. He looks the same. He's just a bigger version of me. So he was probably not going to be what he was going to be. He, he his life would have been very different if he was a jockey. He would have he would have had to starve himself and really put his mm. body through rigors. But um, he has he's chosen his path, uh, path. His own path. He's a he does coding. He's very good at it. Mm. Um, and he's I'm very proud of him. He's an amazing kid. We're lucky enough to speak to a lot of elite and my athletes. daughter as well. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, they they they, they chose the right. They chose, uh, both chose their own path. Yeah. Well, I hope you're going to run with that. What he said before, because I was hoping something. What what he taught his son, which is, you you know, 
follow your own path. Yeah. hundred percent. Can you please talk on that? I well, love that. No, topic. well, we're, we've been lucky enough to interview some incredible yeah. athletes in all different sports. And we always ask that question, the ones that have kids, because it's interesting to hear. And, and, and none of the ones that have got to the, like the absolute top have forced their kids into what they're currently doing. Mm. Let them own, let them choose their own path. Um, some have fallen into the sport naturally. Yes. Like, and I just think for what we do in our mission, our mission is very much a 20-somethings and it's about chasing what your ambition is, not yeah. what the crowd's telling you to, to go for, what school's pushing you into or sometimes what your parents are pushing you into. Yeah. So how important is it for, for young people, a bit more generically, how important is it to follow your path? Just follow your passion, honestly. And, and, and you'll fall over and you'll stumble, you'll hurt yourself along the way trying to find the one that thing that you really fit. And some people find it early. Some people find it midway. Some people find it late. To get from A to B, many people will choose many different paths and there'll be many different directions you go. And it doesn't make one better than the other. Mm. They're all cool. Yeah. You're on your own path, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter. It Yours doesn't – Will your path will not suit me. Mm. It doesn't make my path any less valuable than yours. Just it's a different path. Yeah. And that's what makes us all what we are. You know what I mean? Like you two are different. I'm different to you. That's what makes it so cool, right? Yeah. Because you can yeah. sit down at the end of the day and you can talk about it. I think young people these days have just got to embrace the difference. Be different and be proud to be different because we are. That's mm. simply what we are. Mm. You know, we're not clones. Yeah, 100%. The whole thing is we are different. People are scared to be different. Imagine if we were all the same. What a boring you, life. You, oh, fuck that. Could you imagine? Yeah. Like, oh my God. But but in the same thing, people are scared to be different. Yeah. Like, oh, why, why am I different? Well, guess what? You are. It's simple as that. Yeah. Like, mm. you, you're not made to be the same. Embrace it. Find what your passion is. And if, like you say, I mean, there's old cliches, guys. They work, don't they? If it's if it's your passion, it's not work. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%, All those old yeah, cliches yeah, as we as I grew up and I listen to you, you go, oh, yeah, listen to the old boys talking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. have a listen to him, the old bastard. But they are so true today. Find your passion. It's never going to be work from that point onwards. Love your job. You know, there's so many old cliches that seem so true and I don't know. It, it, you got to pass those things down, I think. Can I just, just before you ask a question, can I just share something about Bossy? Yeah, do from, it, the, do from the start of our conversation this morning, as soon as you walked in, we don't need to talk about the situation. But one thing I really respected about him straight away is that talking about generations and some of the people we talked to on the show, there seems to be almost generational wars and this oh, this era had it easier. And, this, and yeah. what I really respected about you is you said, you're talking about our generation and the, and the difficulties that, the new mm. difficulties that are faced. Yeah. So it's no different to the difficulties you face. They were just different. Yeah. And I really like the fact that you said, geez, you guys have these sorts of pressures now that I didn't have to deal with. Yeah. I just really liked hearing that because a lot of people go the opposite way. It was harder mm. in my yeah. day kind of thing. And yeah. it's, not a comp- it's not a competition. That's what I'm saying. I just yeah. think there needs to be a bit more empathy towards both. So us understanding generations before us and under us, you know, that makes sense. Definitely. Well, can I tell you guys straight up, hand on heart, we didn't have the things to deal with what you guys do now. I promise you. You know when they say, oh, "I hate this bullshit." The way like people, oh, we got, we had it tougher. You know, we had to do it tougher. Yeah. These kids, they've got it easy these days. And I sit back and listen to these people and go, "Hey, so are you fucking serious, mate? We didn't do it tough. Okay, we had to work physically, yeah. Mm. But the new generation, like I'm talking to you guys now, 
the, the 35 down have got to deal with so much more. The volume has got turned up. You're dealing with so much more pressure than we didn't have. The, we didn't have the phones. We didn't have the social media. We didn't have the constant barrage of having to look a certain way, or you had to have this. You had had their certain house, like you had to have this money in the bank, and mm. because it's you know, okay, there was there was there was a little bit of that, but now it's just like the volumes got turned up, right? Mm. And we kind of live in this half bullshit state that we're trying to live up to some expectation of someone 100%, else. Hundred percent, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and it's it's a generational thing. It's kind of you get. I think young they get caught in that system, mm. and once you get caught into it, you just. I think it's very hard to get out of it. You know. Mm. So I, I believe that young people, as a general whole, are dealing with so much more. So they're doing it tougher. Mm. And I think young people today need more hands on shoulders. Are you okay? Yeah. Is are you cool? Any can you you need to talk about something? You know because they're bottling up more and more. I reckon the young people these days. I think they're holding more stuff in because there's more stuff to deal with. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's that battle of what you said earlier, which is we are all different and unique, which is fantastic, and we are. Yeah. But so many of us, we're lucky because you know we we have the ability to to believe and know that we are. But mm. so many other people. It's, it is, it's the social media. And I, first thing I think of is my sisters, mm. you know, mm. I, I go, oh, well, I don't, I don't look a certain way. Yeah. Well, I need to change the way I look because I need to look like this girl. Yeah. But yeah. You are, no, you, well, you my know. daughter had it, you know, she went through a spot where, she, you know, there was a bit of an eating disorder. There was kind of, you know, there, but it, it wasn't her. It was the pressure. Yeah. It, was, it was the external pressure was making her be like that. You know, was forcing her to be like that or making her think like that. Um, it wasn't actually her herself, no. which I think is really sad, you know. Um, but, like, and honestly, guys, like things like this, a podcast, what you're doing now, it might affect one person, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll sit there and listen to it and say, you know, yeah. Um, it's say so you're, you know, you're doing a, you're doing a service, right? Just, Thank you. And, and, Thank you're, you. and you're doing it. This is fun for you guys. This is oh, fun yeah. for me. But, the message has to still be pushed out there, mm. stronger and harder now than ever because it's – I see the younger generation dealing with so much more and they're not dealing with it as well, you know, because they don't have the tools. Yeah. You need to give people tools to deal with it and, it, let, let, and let them know that it's – got to let people know it's okay to be scared, mm. it's okay to be different, it's okay to be vulnerable, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's okay to put your hand up and ask for help. Mm. It's okay. You know, mm. I appreciate you saying that. We haven't really spoken about this topic for a while. It's one of the main reasons why we started. And it's mm. nice and refreshing to hear it from you. And you're right. Like subconsciously, I heard this thing on a podcast the other day and it was basically the whole talk was about why Hollywood has fucked us all up. Yeah. And it was sub, it was a subconscious <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like these movies that we've all even grown up with as, as little kids. Yeah. They're like they're just subconsciously pushing you to this is the standard you have to live up to. This is what you've got to look like. This yeah. is what... Your wife's going to look like this is a house you're going to live in. This is a car you're going to drive. All these sort of subtle yeah. things, and you just it just it's so unrealistic, in, right? Yeah, and it's ingrained into you that this is going to be this is the level you have to hit. Yeah, and um, I found it interesting. I'm interested, Bossy, too, talking along this sort of path. Your dealings with social media. So when you're actually racing, yeah. so have you dealt with angry punters and what's oh, that yeah. like? I would love to hear. Oh yeah. my god! I so okay. This used to be my game. So I'd get someone who would say something pretty ordinary yeah. about me personally or whatever. 
a message. A message, yeah, on, on Twitter or whatever it is, some, some sort of social media. So I used to turn around and start following them. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everyone that I fo- – all the people that followed me would see what – they'd see this. Ah, oh, gotcha. Right? Yep. And they and they go, well, what's this? You know, so he'd get it. He'd cop a flogging. Mm-hmm. Like he'd cop the barrage because from all your fans, four from all my fans, right? Smart. And but I'd follow them, and I, and I, and or I'd send a message, say, mate, you know, like this seems to be a bit more about you than me. You know, what's your what 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 is you what is your problem? Have you you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you sound like an angry person. Oh, and they'd come yeah, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you <laughs> then you have a message back and forth. Wow, and then you win them over. Because it, it wasn't about me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was never about me. It, it, they just had something going on that day. It, I mean, you know what I mean? You, you know what I mean? Generally. Yeah. It was such a high-pressure environment with so much money you could on the pick, line. You could like pick you. the messages out, the different ones. Some of them were just being dickheads and yeah. cockheads, right? And, <laughs> and so I'd follow them and have smiley face, laugh at them, you know? Because and, yep. and, they wanted you to come back with something yeah, angry. Yeah, And when you didn't do it, it's like, oh. What do, I, what do I do with this now? Yeah, kill him. You know, he's he's not a bad bloke. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. So I used to have, I used to love that game, and um, yeah, I mean, some of them come back with some horrendous stuff, you know. I bet. You yeah, know, but you know, he what, just. Do you get out the track too, like verbally over the fence or? Oh yeah, you mean you'd get that, but it wasn't. I mean, you'd get some pretty bad stuff every now and then, but it's just like how can they can it? How can yeah. they affect you? You know. Well, it's it's kind of I know uh, someone that I love following on social media. He talks about it is if someone's posting or writing somewhat of a negative comment, taking the piss or having a crack at yeah. you or anyone else, you almost have to switch the the narrative yeah. and put yourself and go put yourself in their shoes and go. I actually, what a sad. This is actually really sad yeah. that someone is actually taking the time out of their own day to write on your yeah. Instagram post or Twitter feed. To say how shit you are, like there's clearly something that they need to address. Well, you know? just before, like, just on that subject, boys. Like before social media, if someone said something to you um, personally, like they because they didn't have they didn't have the the keyboard the, warrior. They didn't before keyboard. You'd laugh at it. You go, yeah. oh, what are you on about, mate? You're a dickhead, <laughs> and and you'd walk away and you'd laugh about it, and then you wouldn't give it a second thought. But now, because it's written, it's in your face. Why do we? Ha- why do we take it on board now? Well, I just oh, good on you, mate. <laughs> good on you, buddy. Smiley face. Have a good day, and then get on with your life. Why do we keep taking it on? Like young people, yeah, they, they're taking it on and on, yeah. more and more and more, and all of a sudden it consumes what they're doing. But instead of you know just going, mate, God, good on you, yeah, yeah, and, and then just forgetting about it, let it go because yeah. that simply that that person's he can't affect you, or he or she can't affect you mm-hmm. physically, mentally, they can't affect you unless. You let them affect you, yeah, and then it starts. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to make that choice. Is this person going to affect me? Is he going to make my life different? No. Move on. Yeah. You choose to let that yeah. moment affect you, not them. Yeah. They might send the barraging comment, but you—you're the one who makes. You're the one who chooses to take it on. Yeah. You know, so you've got to make that choice. I'm interested too. This is a bit of a left field question, but who are? Can you give us maybe three names? of celebrities or famous people that you've met along the journey through what you do. I'd love to know, you know, at race meetings, who are, who are three of the biggest names? Oh, well, King Charles, I suppose, was a That's big a one. That's a very topical one. We, we yeah, knew, wow. yeah, and I watched, the, I watched the funeral last night. I thought it was an amazing. It was beautiful. We did it, as was, well. it was seamless. Yeah. I know it went over time, but it was seamless when it was beautiful. And um, you could actually see, you know, you could actually see he was distressed 
you know, that look yeah. on his face. He was doing a good job to hold his shit together, but he was distressed. Mm. So I met him, but oh, I met I met some great people, you know. And it's funny you meet these great sportsmen, and they're all really cool dudes. Yeah, and and ladies, men and women. Sure. Um, most of them are very humble people. Oh yeah. You know the real cool ones I've met. You kind of get this, but you get this feeling what they're going to be like when you meet them and. And then when you meet them, you go, well, geez, they're just like me. <laughs> the bigger the name, we've discovered this. We talk about this all the time. The bigger the name we we lucky enough to speak to, the more humble they are. And the ones that are kind of the fringe, <laughs> yeah. they're the ones that are so arrogant, like the degraders. But well, affectionately, of course. But yeah, you know there is I mean. that element, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't like to call them degraders, but <laughs> there are those people who, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up, Dean, yep. Ned's Peninsula Cup at the Mornington Racecourse. We are Peninsula boys too. We are. We're from the Peninsula. So firstly, thank you to uh, the Mornington Racecourse. But we want to hear your favourite memory from Mornington. Or, oh, g- give, give us a couple of stories. I have, I have the one of my most favourite memories are from Mornington Racetrack. Okay, let me take you back to 05, the third cup, the week of the third cup. Obviously, that McIvy had won the Cox Plate. So there was there's 10 days between that and the um, her Melbourne Cup. So her mission was we had to prep, prep her up, hopefully get her ready for the third cup assault. We didn't know whether we were going to get there or not. Mm-hmm. So her final piece of work was at Mornington Racetrack, Derby, Derby morning. Okay. So this is pretty important. I didn't even know this. Yeah, well, yeah. I know. This I'm is, a Mornington boy. Yeah, this yeah. is a very, very important piece of the puzzle like the most important piece of her puzzle going forward to win that third Melbourne Cup. So Lee Freeman said, well, we have to go to a racetrack and do a, like a race day gallop, um, you know, get her, get her out of her environment and get her heart rate up and give her a pretty stressful, not a stressful gallop, give her a good gallop to make sure that if she doesn't, if she couldn't cope with that gallop on the Saturday, she was definitely not going to turn up on Tuesday and, mm. and, and, and cope. Oh, the word was out. There was more people at a track work gallop than there was on a race day <laughs> at, at Mornington. Yeah. And, um, and she gave me the most incredible feeling that morning. Um, she worked like she'd never worked before. Really? Like, oh, she was on song. Like, she was like an athlete that was just at that, in the moment. And um, I got off after that track work at Mornington and um, I was like a kid with the toys underneath the, the tr- Christmas tree. I couldn't wait. I just couldn't wait till Tuesday because I thought it was over at that point. Really? Yeah, I knew that. <clears throat> all I had to do was make sure I got up there on Tuesday and, and, and didn't disappoint her I knew, and then she would win. That wow. was simple as that. Yeah. So that was – I have a very fond moment. So I have a very good connection with um, Mornington Racetrack. <laughs> so what makes Maccabi Diva, what makes her so great, legendary? What like I, I know that sounds like a very simple question, <laughs> but how can you tell that it's, she's set apart from everybody else? Actually, can we – Quickly stay to people listening that might not even know Maccabi Diva. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> True. yeah. Tell us Maccabi Diva and the three peat. Well, <clears throat> she's one of the, arguably one of the greatest horses that's ever been <clears throat> that we've ever seen in Australia. I mean, amongst other greats, but she's up there in the. I'd say she's up there in the top three of the greatest horses we've ever ever seen. It's a, a very simple question with a complicated answer. She she was a lot of great things. She was bigger, stronger, and faster than most of the animals around her. Um, she had an incredible will to win. She had an amazing aerobic capacity, which I'd never seen on an animal before. And she was very sound throughout mm. her whole career. When you sort of put all those things into a jar and you mix them up, you get a champion athlete. That's what happens. You just need to have all those things. And the longevity is what – I mean, 
they're only around for you know three or four seasons at yeah. the most at that level. But longev the, the, the injury free longevity is what makes these animals so special. They're, wow. they're, they're, to become a champion, you've got to sort of race against the best. She beat the world's best horse over a two mile in her second uh, in Vinnie Rowe. Well, he was the world's best stayer at the time. She beat the world's best. She won handicaps. She won. She won weight for age races. Um, she won our greatest um, weight for age race. She won our Cox Plate. She won three Melbourne Cups. <laughs> she won an Australian Cup. She won a BMW. Um, she won a Sydney Cup. So she won majors. You know what I mean? Yeah, but she was just. It's amazing when you come across an athlete, boys, in in your lifetime, and from the moment you're with them to the moment that you're not with them. Not one minute of that journey, you went, mm, that wasn't right. Yeah. She was on all the time. She was never not right. Incredible. Incredible to see an athlete like that. You know, like you've seen recently like Winx. Yeah. You know, Black Caviar. Yeah. These are, they're this, like, I mean, they had moments when they probably, like Black Caviar, she had injuries, but and there was probably moments when she wasn't right, but she was very well managed. But with Winx, there was probably moments where she was always on. Yeah. Never, no, never not off. Mm. It's incredible. That's what McIvy, you know, she was just incredible. Can you speak on your relationship with McIvy and Eva? Oh, it's very... And and the connection because that's something anyone that isn't somewhat involved or no, you know, racing, the connection between the jockey and the horse and the filly, like it must just be, it's just so unique. It's, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of connections with a lot of horses um, and it's just like us guys. Like, you, you know, when you meet people, you go, oh God, you straight away get that person. You want to learn more about them. Yeah. You want to hang with them. And there's, <clears throat> there's other people, excuse me, that they're just, in, they're on the periphery. They're, they're people that you just meet and you might meet again and you don't get that connection, you know. So it's like that with animals. And, um, but generally you just connect with them and, and you find out what they're about. And then through the process when you, it's generally the good ones, right? that you get this special bond with them because they are special and you'd go on this little journey with them and it doesn't last long. It might last one season, might last four seasons, might last longer, but you're in for this journey and, and, and you find out a lot about them and they find out a lot about you and you get very, very close with them. Um, yeah, I, you find out so much about what they're about and you just tap into that and they are special athletes, yeah. I promise you. Um, and horses... Um, they're like big dogs. They've got all the senses dogs, or even more so. So they kind of know what you're about as well. Yeah. And what happens, they have a lot of trust for you, so you never break that trust. Because if once you break the trust, it's just broken. It's very hard to repair. So you just never cross that line. You look after them, you love them, you nurture them, and you give them everything that you, they should get because essentially you, they're like, we have to give them that. You yeah. Know I mean, they can't do it on their own. So. Mm. Um, they come very, very reliant on you, so you you just, you know, you look after them immensely. You know, I'm I'm really glad you asked that question because we we're talking about it before you arrived today, Bossy. And it, it's like when the spring carnival season comes up, it's a bit like it's like Australia Day in some ways. You know, when it's that time of the year, there's yeah. there's there's going to be an argument. There's always yeah. people. <laughs> and spring carnival is that time of the year, so there's a animal... well, it's forty finals, right? Yeah, same, same thing. Exactly, it's debate, right? It's debate. It's debate. <clears throat> and then there's this whole there's this there's this group of people that talk about animal cruelty and and this side of racing and yeah. And, but I want you to talk a little bit about you know just extending on that question about the horses because. To me, it's like it's amazing to think that a horse rocks up on race day and actually knows that it's there to race, and mm. and it gets and it gets nervous and, and it goes through the yeah. emotions just like yeah. a footballer would on grand 100%. final day. So I'm, 
I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Almost I, 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 the psychology of the horse sounds a bit ridiculous, but <laughs> do you know what I'm yeah, kind of well, getting it, at? It's generations of horses, race horses, being bred <clears throat> to do that specific. They are. They know that they're bred to. They're bred to race. I oh, like. I can take you, Jack. So, okay. Growing up, we had blue cattle dogs. Yeah. Or, or sheep dogs. You didn't have to teach them. They started working animals. Like they'd start working chooks as pups, because. They kind of they knew that that yeah. was their job, and so then you refined it and you taught them and you made them better. It's like racehorses; they know that they're there to race, mm. and, and so you just you just refine their genre. You just refine them, make them better, teach them, educate them, and that's and so they're race day. They know they're there for. Yeah. They know they're there to race. Some are better than others, obviously, but she's amazing. But they're cared for in, in a very unique way. Yeah. Like horses have. have a part of our fabric, our history, like, the, you know, when you talk about horses, they've been to war with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? So men have looked after this animal for thousands of years. They've mm. been with us through a lot. So we have respect for each other. So when I listen to these animal cruelty people, I, I kind of, I don't get angry. I just get a bit upset that they are a bit ignorant to the real fact. Yeah. That they don't know how much these animals, how much love. And guess what? It's sport. Mm. Injuries are going to happen. It's that's life, right? I mean, I don't go to an AFL game, and I don't know the stats at the start of the year and the stats at the end of the year of how many players are together, how many people injured, breakdown, careers end. I don't see these people protesting at AFL games. How no. many humans are you know what I mean? Yeah. Are getting injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people's careers are ending? I don't see these same people protesting about how how bad how bad our roads are, how many people are dying on our roads mm. because we've got shit roads. I don't see these same protesters talking about the stats about COVID, how many young people or people have suicided. I don't see these same people doing that. No. You know what I mean? But they want to protest about our, our sport and they don't they, – they're so ignorant to the fact of how much effort, time, hours – care goes into these animals and when something goes wrong there's no one more hurt than us like it, it takes me ages to get over if i see an injured horse or a horse that i love that's hurt itself on the track it, and it's it, and it's actually a rare thing when it does happen it's amplified because it's on tv right and everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon but it is such a rare thing that a horse goes wrong on race day and there's no more people that are hurt than the people who are in the industry it kills us yeah it really does so for these people to come out and say this and that, listen, they're, they're barking up the wrong tree. Mm. And, I, and I wish these people would actually come into the system and have a look at actually what goes on. Yeah. I'd, I'd welcome that. Yeah. I'd like these people, I'd, I'd take them on a trip mm. and say, okay, because I, I, I'd like to educate them a bit. Sure. It's not about us against them. It's come on, I'll educate you and show you what it really is. And, and they'd be converted in yeah. like that. They'd be converted. Because there's more things in life that they should be protesting about than this. Sure. That really are yeah. proper. Um, they should put their energy into something that really matters, like war, deaths yeah. in our society, young people. They should be. They, they should put their energy into something that really matters. Okay, this might matter to them, but really, it's it's sport. It's mm. been going on for thousands. It's been going for, and it will continue to go on. So, just get on with it. Powerful. Very powerful. Well, it's just what it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't sugarcoat stuff. No. It is what it is and it will always be that. We're coming to a close, which is really disappointing. Um, <laughs> we wanted to do a two-part series. Oh, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm bloody loving it. Gosh. But 
I would, I'd be really interested, and I don't know we've touched on it a little bit, but with Maccabi Diva, did you have a moment where, and again, I don't think people who don't know race, they might not understand what a huge deal this is, yeah. but did you have a moment where you sat in the locker room or you might have gotten home that night or it was when you got together with the team later on when you actually just went, holy shit. Yeah. Like the th- we've not, not once, not twice, but I've ridden – one of the greatest horses of Australian history yeah. mm-hmm. to win yeah. the Melbourne Cup three years in a row. Did yeah, you I, have did you have a moment? I had I had moments. Um, the greatest moment I ever had was after I won the third one, and I kind of, you know, I had I I had dreams and I had moments before at the this is how big this event is going to be if she happens to win. I kind of had a the gravity of it. I had I had a feeling and sense of the gravity of where we were going to be. So I kind of unconsciously got myself ready. Because I consciously thought she could win. So unconsciously I got myself ready. When I took her, after she won, I made a real constitution that I took her back to the people because she was a people's horse by yeah. this point. She wasn't, she wasn't mine. She wasn't Tony's and Christine's. She was ours, you know what I mean? Because she crossed that line. That So I took her back to the clock tower, the famous clock tower, just near the clock tower there. And I, I took my hands off the reins and I just went like that and said, okay, this, this is – everyone, this is you. This yeah. is for you. This is – and she just stood there and looked at the crowd from, you know, surveyed the straight from one end to the other. And she just stood there and just took it all in. And when you have 110,000 people kind of all looking in one direction, all with their – like people with their phone, but not one person was looking the other way. It's a – and you're looking. It's a very powerful moment. Yeah. You feel like, I don't know, Freddie Mercury. You know yeah. what I mean? Like on stage – it like having that moment where not one person that you are in command of this moment. Um, and that was the most powerful moment I've ever had in my life. And then my best moments were when I was on my own, when I got to that process and you, and you, you got yourself into that moment and you executed, it's like almost you have these moments when you're sitting on your own and you go, I just did the coolest job. Yeah, you know what I mean, and but I was very proud of myself um, of because I went through that. I went through that process. I worked harder than anyone else. I, you know, I, I, I without doing that process, I probably wouldn't have got to that spot because yeah. it, I had such clarity when I was going through my third cup. It, it was so clear. The clarity I had was unbelievable, and I executed to the perfection only because I could. I was. I did all the hard yards. So I was very proud of myself that I actually did do that stuff. So you do have that little moment where you, where you give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, and you it, deserve and it. it. And it. But it's cool to do that. Yeah. Of course it's it is. It's actually so cool to go and, you know, that. to say, you know what, Bossy, fuck, you just did the best thing ever. And you should be proud of yourself because, Absolutely. you know, it was very cool. And, you you know, under the, under the blowtorch moment, you backed yourself and you did it. You know what I mean? And... That's the little quiet moment, just on my own. Yeah, know? which is awesome. I think that is something that in Australian culture we, 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 we lack. I mean, if you see, if you watch the NBA or NFL in America, when, when players do, yeah. do something big, they, they let everybody know about it. I don't think there's anything wrong well, with that. Well, that's another part of oh, – sorry, guys. That's another part of what we should be doing, you guys should be doing. We've got a shit culture in Australia. Mm. Like, honestly, against our sports people. Yeah, we, we We love the underdog. Mm, we do. But that's cool. But when that bloke makes it, he's still the underdog. He's still the same person. You know what I mean? Yeah. We cheer him on. Oh, we love the underdog. And you know, we cheer him to a point. And when he gets there and he makes it, it's like, 
Oh, he's a fucking dickhead. Man. Tall exactly. poppy syndrome. That's exactly where I was going. But he's yeah. still the same person. Like, what, what's changed? Do you know what's changed? You. Mm, yeah. You're the, it's more about what. It's more about you. It's not that person that you cheered for. Have a fucking look at yourself. Mm. You're the person who's changed. Mm. You know, your it's your opinion that's changed, mm. not him. Okay, he's driving a better car. He's got the house, and he's doing that. But he's good on him. Hundred yeah. percent. He's worked his ass off to get to this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love that you don't begrudge this. him that. Yeah, you should be going. Okay, how do I do that? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Not like fuck. Look yeah. at that dickhead now. Like yeah. really, like it's yeah. have a look That's, at yourself. I love that you said that. We've we got a shit to, culture in Australia. I promise you. We used to rant about this in our early episodes when we first started. Which is the two of us. And we used to rant about that kind of stuff all the time. It's great to hear a legend like yourself. Well, I wanted to be that person. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be that successful person. I wanted everything that he had, and I thought about okay, how do I do it? What's the process? Instead of looking at him and going, going, going to go scratch his car or something because yeah. he's too good. Yeah. Mm. Like be happy for him. Yeah. I'll be more than happy for him. Yeah. Be ecstatic for him. Then, but learn. Yeah. How, yeah. Did, how did he? Do, how did he or she do yeah. that? You know. Can I share a quick story? Yeah, go for really it. Really quick. So, and you're it's very well. I think it's funny. Uh, so, it would have been it's 05. Yeah. Cup day, and my mum and dad went to the cup. So my nan and pa were looking after us and I spoke to you about my pa before and I showed you a photo of him and he, you know, yeah. massive racing person and was a trainer himself and worked in the stables. And so he's, nan and pa were looking after me and my two sisters. So my youngest sister, Camille, she would have been four. Yeah. Um, so you're seven, I reckon. Yeah. Eight or seven or eight, yeah. right? <laughs> so, I'm like, I feel so old. <laughs> so, so it's a big deal for my pa, massive deal. Like Melbourne Cup Day is his day. His birthday is on Melbourne Cup Day. And he just, you know, when you just, grand final footy day, that's my day. Yeah. Don't come near me. Like <laughs> you know, I'm putting my bets on and I'm, that was his day. He'd been up to the TAB, put all his bets on. He had his paper ready to go, sitting down, obviously waiting for the cup. My little sister Camille was just throwing a massive tanty, big tantrum to the point where it was taking away all the, like she, she, it got out of, bit out of hand and Nana Parr having to, you know, you know, control her and whatnot. So she's yelling and my pa really bit his tongue, really bit his tongue and it's right before the race. <laughs> and there's a big deal. Yeah. Like three times, like this is yeah. history in the making right here. <laughs> she went, like pa's like, the race about something, right? She just looked him dead in the eye and went, who cares about Maccabi Diva? Yeah. And he grabbed her, put her in the bedroom and locked her in there for the race. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, my so that, God. That, that gets spoken about. Who cares about Maccabi Diva all the time? Like it was That's just hilarious. such a such a great moment That's that we'll, we'll always that. talk about. It's so magic because like, yeah, 2005. So we're 10. Yeah. At, at yeah, we're 10 yeah. yeah. And you still remember where you were. Like it's like as you get older, you go, when certain people die, you'll never forget where you were in that moment. But I reckon almost every Australian, like, doesn't matter how young you were, I can remember that day. Yeah. Like, I can remember sitting with the family that day watching. Like, it's, it's just incredible. So, to sit across from you today and just reminisce and, and chat and get so much insight, Bossy, it's just been an absolute pleasure. So, I just want to, yeah, thank you and acknowledge Mate, you. I really appreciate this it. This was my pleasure, boys, not yours. Loved it's it. honestly, I've been, really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I hope you guys do really good things. I really do. Uh, hopefully, I've just seen hopefully the start of something very good. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. I was I could look back and reflect and say, you know what? I knew those guys when they were just kicking off and they've done some wonderful things. Um, obviously, I can see where he's going with this. Um, 
there's going to be a lot of good messages out there, but there's going to be a lot of fun, right? Oh, yeah. People have, there's good, there's got to be messages, but the, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to wake up every day and have fun. Just live a good life and have fun and, mm. you know, yeah, I, I, I hope you guys succeed and do what you want to do. Thanks, Bossy. Thanks, Bossy. Cheers. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.